This is episode 25 of the NASA in Silicon Valley podcast. Today's guest is Nettie Rusaboom, an aerospace engineer in the wind tunnel division at NASA Ames. When it comes to air travel, NASA is with you when you fly. Working in the wind tunnels, obviously Nettie works on aeronautics, but she also plays an important role in testing rockets. Recently, even testing the big SLS space launch system rocket that'll take us out of Earth's orbit and on a journey to Mars. We also mentioned in the conversation a previous story on her work called The Power of Pink that you can find at nasa.gov Ames and an audio version on the podcast feed. Here is Nettie Rosenboom. How did you get to NASA? How'd you come to Silicon Valley? Yes, um, I'm. I'm very happy to say I was an intern here in 2007, uh, summer of 2007, and oh, wow. I worked, worked in the vertical motion simulator, world's largest simulator. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and you know, I I will forever be thankful for my mentor that summer and uh, the whole division that I worked with that. Uh, uh-huh. really just opened my eyes. Actually, that summer I, I realized like, oh, maybe I do want to go to grad school. At that moment, I just uh, kind of. You kind of fell into it. Yeah. Are, are you from California or how, good, how did you good end up? Good questions. Uh, you, there may be a little bit of a, a accent, maybe most of it's us. <laughs> Has California taken over your <laughs> yeah, accent? Yeah, sadly. But I grew up in Tennessee and okay. uh, spent all my life there. I uh, went to undergrad in Tennessee. And I think a reason why I'm here is uh, I ran cross-country indoor-outdoor track um, okay. in college on scholarship. And so that was one thing that they noticed whenever I sent my resume for an intern. You stand internship. out amongst all the other yeah, scientists. Yeah, that, yeah like <laughs> there's there's this uh, student that, you know, has really good grades, but she can run year-round and compete year-round. <laughs> and, like you know, uh, the, the gentleman that, that hired me for my internship was like, you know, if you can do that, you can work here. And, <laughs> and you know, it was, it was really a blessing to... to that they notice that because, you know, there's so many things that you try to be well-rounded and uh, yeah. be a part of different parts of the undergrad life. But mm-hmm. I mean, that was a big part that that paid for my undergrad schooling. So to, to have that acknowledge that, hey, that's valuable also in the workplace. And that was school in Tennessee. And then you moved to California. Yeah. Just- start your job yeah this yeah. is your first job yeah, or yeah. An internship right and I interned that summer it went amazing uh made a huge difference in my life yeah. and uh I always like to tell people that uh you know they were very kind and you know told them I, I think I want to go to grad school and they proposed you know think about grad school here think about working here and you know, I, I just couldn't imagine anything but getting back to Tennessee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you end up going to grad school out here? Uh, yes. So I told my mother that, and she said, you're going. And, <laughs> and I appreciate her, you know, pushing me to say, like, you yeah. know, do this. This is this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. So uh, I said, great, let's do it. So I, I'm, I moved out here the following year after I finished undergrad, and uh, wow. I started working here as a civil servant, and I did my master's at Stanford part-time. So Okay. Was it like the Pathways uh, Fellowship or something yeah, like that or a different no, program? No, it or? was uh, just kind of through the training budget that I completed this. It was a great um, opportunity to, like, you are working full-time, you have a full-time job, of course, trying to 
get classwork that complemented my yeah. job. But uh, yeah, it was a lot. Uh, it's always the ideal situation. <laughs> yeah. If you can actually work in the field you're doing and then studying, I'm sure that also helped your classes. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You're sitting in classes and you're like, well, let me just go to NASA and sort this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it was it was really great You know, to kind of have that hands-on application when I'm taking advanced fluid dynamics, which uh, <laughs> just I probably like it brings so much joy to me, uh, like thermo and fluid dynamics. But yeah, you know, you, and you, I'd go back and try to work out a problem with one of the engineers at the wind tunnel. And saying like, well, you know, I've been studying these equations, and this is what I just learned. And yeah, you know, that, oh, that so was a fun. lot of fun. I I will give the full disclosure. It was uh, it was stressful. You know, like you come to work and everyone's on their A game here, and and then you go to school and everyone has their homework people turned go, in, and you're people you're, go <laughs> home to like relax, watch some TV, yeah, and you're yeah. going to class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, I mean, um, it was very enriching and, uh, of course, wonderful opportunity. But in your graduate degree was in is mecha- it? mechanical engineering. Okay. Was, yeah. So yeah. not a scientist, an engineer. Yes, I'm an engineer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So when you came in as an intern, you're working on the, on the VMS, that is the vertical motion simulator. Yes. Unfortunately, I've only seen it from the outside. Oh. So describe a little bit of what. Yeah. What is a vertical motion simulator? Yeah, uh, Matt, we we have to get you there because it, it's <laughs> it's really incredible to see. You know, you can imagine it being the world's largest simulator. It's a, a fairly large facility. It's it looks um, like a bus on stilt or like kind of like elevated up. Yeah, and yeah, and um, so the the vertical motion simulator is six stories tall, um, uh, and they have what they call cabs, and mm-hmm. these cabs are interchangeable. And this cab is on a system that has six degrees of rotation, so it can go up, down, side to side, and left and right. And then it can also tilt in all three directions, so pitch, roll, and yaw. And how that's important is uh, you know, during the shuttle days, uh, astronauts that were going to fly the shuttle would come here and they would train in the VMS. So uh, they would have different simulations because uh, mm-hmm. there's several different landing sites around the world if there was a problem and you couldn't land in Florida or California. So you could land in Spain, but you don't always get to practice landing in Spain. <laughs> so you could practice it. Yeah, yeah. In and then what makes it even cooler is that you could you could practice landing in Spain with a forty degree headwind with rain. And it has monitors that kind of circle all around. So yeah, yeah. I bet you really feel your stomach yeah, pulling. Yeah. And oh, and one of the cool things that I got to do that summer I was interning was land a lunar rover on the moon. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's really cool. Uh, just to, you know, and they have the different cabs so you can have like a. Does that whole top part get replaced? When yes. you say like, replacing the cab, there's a shuttle cab. Yeah. There's a. Yeah, a, like a, like a 747 lander. cab. There's a moon lander cab. There's a helicopter cab. So there's all oh, these wow. different cabs. With, uh, you know, different pilots come in from you know, different walks of life that are, have different missions, and they can simulate that. So it's not just NASA. This right. is like other folks can come in, use the space, right. and practice. So another great facility, along with the VMS, is the CVSRF. At this facility, they have a 747 mm-hmm. cockpit, and then they have one that they can adapt to different uh, airplane configurations. So, oh, wow. So big yeah. planes, little planes. Yeah, yeah. Different... And, and you'd never guess who is a big user of this facility uh-huh. is UPS pilots. Really? Yeah. So, I I mean, it's just amazing the outreach that NASA has that no one would ever think that NASA and UPS have something in common. uh, uh, You're flying planes. Yeah. And to go back to the first day in NASA's, the aeronautics and how that has a huge impact here at Ames. And and Ames was a NACA facility before NASA even existed. Yeah. So it's really fun to just like, you know, keep thinking about all the things that NASA does and you know you have UPS pilots coming here and training all the different facilities that there are 
airports that they're going to land out. It's really, really neat. Oh, that's fascinating. So you're an intern working in this vertical motion simulator, yeah, yeah. landing on the moon, you know, <laughs> just like a normal internship. Yeah, you know, just, just a normal Friday. <laughs> and so then that landed into a job in like the engineering um, organization? Yeah, and actually I, I started my career in the air traffic management group. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. uh, ATC, ATM. I would encourage everyone uh, that's listening is to go and look and discover you know everything that NASA is doing for the airspace and and of course like uh-huh. the new topic that y'all have talked about is UTM the unmanned air traffic management and uh, I mean it's, it's the air traffic control for drones right or right. basically developing that software the platform yeah developing that platform of what could be used in right, the future right and it, it's it's <clears throat> amazing I mean if you're studying math and you're thinking what am I going to do with a math degree there's like a huge optimization problem there to solve and yeah. uh, it's it's really amazing like I would encourage everyone to talk about it and like how do you get more planes in the sky, which is how do we increase air travel and but decrease the workload on controllers? Because there is a conversation that happens between a pilot and a controller every time they move through the airspace. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really cool to, to think about. Yeah. So it's interesting for people who live in the Bay Area or anybody who's visiting. If you're driving on 101 mm-hmm. and you go past NASA and you see these bi- a big hangar and the big buildings – one of them is holding this vertical motion simulator. Yeah, then the yeah. other ones are these big wind tunnels. Yeah. And I know you've been doing a lot of work <laughs> yeah. in the wind tunnels. And yeah. This is some of the stuff you're working on now. Yes. I work in the wind tunnel division. Okay. Um, I work in a building called the Fluid Mechanics Lab. We have six small wind tunnels. We have wind tunnels that are actually, I should call it a, like a fluid. It's a water channel. Okay. So <laughs> it's like you put the design in water so then that way you can actually see, visually yeah. see how the... Yeah, flows over. yeah, that's the beauty of like this this water channel, which the flow is going one inch per second. So you can see how this flow is developing nice and slow, and how it would flow over an airplane. Did they put like dye in yeah. that water, or uh, so we put fluorescent dye. We turn out the lights. We can excite oh, wow. the dye uh, with some uh, blue lighting, and you can see that how this dye will move around an airplane or a car or a soccer ball, like everything that moves through a fluid. Uh, how it would how it would react. I remember doing a story back around the super. Bowl, oh, yeah, where they yeah, were yeah. trying to, those different dynamics, is trying to see how, like, like a soccer ball or yeah. how the sports objects would have. Yeah, know, string air. lines coming over and how the flow would go over the the football and you know how did the ties mess with the flow or change the flow and yeah it's and you know having a spiral ball flying through the air what does that look like so it's a really great it's, way to visualize the flow and super helpful for airplanes or spacecraft or anything that's going yeah. through an atmosphere you can kind of try to see. How does that work? And then adapt your design. Right. Yeah. And also in the fluid mechanics lab, we have several different wind tunnels uh, range from low speed. There'll be a desktop wind tunnel up to a facility that runs 0.6 Mach. So six tenths the speed of sound. Oh, wow. Yeah. I imagine that's a big wind tunnel. Yeah. Well, actually, powerful. yeah, it is more powerful. And the, the test section is fairly small so that we can get those high speeds. But, okay. but um, as you can imagine, these are very small facilities. Uh, we can design models, uh, create um, you know, ideas that we have brainstormed have machined out of wood mm-hmm. or plastic or whatever the what would be necessary or even metal, um, and throw them in these small facilities where it takes maybe one, two people to to run the facilities. 
So for people who have no idea what a wind tunnel even yeah. is, um, it's almost like you have a big chamber where you would put an airplane. And is it something like almost like a, a loop where air gets circulated? How yeah. does that work? Yeah, great question. What is a wind tunnel? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so a wind tunnel is a machine or a facility that uh, we put vehicles in, vehicles of all different types, uh, and see how the air moves across them. So in- mm-hmm. Instead of having the, the vehicle move through the air, we have the vehicle stationary and then have the air moving over and how it. how do you get that air moving? Yeah, every wind tunnel needs some kind of fan, some kind of fan <laughs> to move the air over the, the vehicle. Uh, so every every wind tunnel will have a fan and every wind tunnel will have a test section. And that's where we mount the model. For the folks listening to the podcast, I believe it's maybe the sixth or seventh episode in because we do episodes where we talk to people, yeah. but also we have other stories that people yeah. have written and we do audio versions of yeah, them. Yeah. But one of them was about the PSP paint. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about that because yeah. I know you were involved in it. Yes. Part two, PSP. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm very passionate about pressure sensitive paint. Uh, that's, that's my job here is to lead our pressure sensitive paint measurements. So this is a paint that... Um, glows or fluoresces under UV or blue light. Uh, and it sounds really futuristic. Something yeah. that NASA would work on is this glowing paint. Uh, and we, we apply this to wind tunnel models. Okay. And why, why would we care about applying this to wind tunnel models? So when we're, when we're testing a wind tunnel model, an airplane, say, we're interested in the pressures that are acting over the vehicle. Okay. And typically we will, on a traditional wind tunnel test, we'll have what we call pressure taps on all parts of the model. We'll have it on the airplane wing, on the fuselage, on the tail. We're interested in knowing what the pressure is at that very specific location. And uh, so this is done by having a wing. Usually it's made out of metal and we'll drill a small little (laughs) hole and then hook up a tube to it. And that tube will go to a piece of instrumentation that will read what pressure is. How fast, how much pressure is it sustaining. Right. Yeah. And so uh, that works well, and that's yeah. what we traditionally use on a wind tunnel model. But what happens when you need to know the model on a really thin surface and you can't drill a hole? Or what happens when you need to have a global distribution of pressure on a wind tunnel model? And that's where PSP comes in. Okay. Yeah. And so how does that exactly happen? So you're, you're taking a model, you paint it, it's glowing pink, or it's yeah. pink, yeah. and you just put it in, run it? Yeah, yeah. And then, does it change? Is this since pressure sensitive? Like, right. what happens to that paint? Right. Yes. Great question. So when uh, first we have the model, I will paint the model, and I think this <laughs> is kind of interesting because if we paint it just like you would paint a car, we put down a primer, we'll put down a base coat, okay. we sand it, make sure it's nice and smooth as much as we can, and then we'll put on this top sensitive layer, and this sensitive layer has luminescent molecules. It, are you going in with like with a paintbrush, and you're yeah. actually painting the thing, or yeah. is it a spray? Or? It's a spray. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So luckily, it's a spray. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be fairly hard with a brush. I don't know. Maybe I should try a brush sometime. But. It would probably be uneven, I <laughs> <Yeah>. would imagine. <laughs> yeah. But you do get to be creative. But uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, in the top coat, there's these luminescent molecules, and these luminescent molecules you can excite with um, some kind of energy. And we use uh, blue LEDs. And okay, like like the light shining. Yeah, on it? yeah. And we we will turn on these lights and it, uh, you know point it towards the model, and it will excite the paint. The, and thus it glows. Yes, or... and and it will and it will excite these luminescent molecules, and I make them shine really bright. And they oh, say, wow. I'm here. I'm here. I'm glowing nice and bright. <laughs> but then when you turn the wind tunnel on, uh, so 
you, you said pressure sensitive. So what is pressure? Pressure, uh, say in the wind tunnel, is uh, partial pressure of oxygen is equal to the partial pressure that's happening on the wind tunnel model. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe a better way to say that is like uh, pressure is sensing how much oxygen is in the air. Okay. So actually, the paint is oxygen sensitive, but we. We we're measuring pressure via the amount of oxygen in the air. The oxygen that's pushing on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so uh, where where the glowing of the paint will change is when there's oxygen present or higher levels of oxygen pressure present, i.e. higher pressure. It actually is quenching these molecules and making them shine very dim. So the okay. the model will be very dim in places, and then in other places, be very bright. And so there's a lack of oxygen there. So it's a low pressure there. And with this. We paint the whole wind tunnel model. I have eight scientific cameras mounted around the wind tunnel and these 40 lamps just zapping away at the paint. And we're taking images of how the paint is responding when we're on a certain condition. How long would you run it for? Yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, Well, a typical wind tunnel test that that I work on will run for 160 hours. So two, two weeks for two shifts a day. Well, so it's just the wind's flowing that entire time. Yeah, and we'll, we'll stop for model changes and, and, of course, shut down for people to go home and things like that. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, like, uh, and that's I guess that's one of the functions of a wind tunnel is that you know very precisely what are the conditions. Like, we know what the speed is, we know what the pressure is, we know the velocity of the air, and now we're measuring the, the small pressure changes on the wing with these pressure taps, and then, oh, let's apply PSP. And now we know the global distribution of the pressure on this vehicle. It's fascinating because it's like, you know, from the early days of Ames where they had these wind tunnels, and then as supercomputing became a thing and they had all yeah. these sophisticated computer models, but they've noticed that it's like, even though you can run it in a model, you still almost like, you need to check the answers at the back of the book. Yeah, And so yeah. by putting a real model, it, like they can perfect it on the computer, but then actually put it in, a, in the wind tunnel to see, is it really correct? And they can learn things that they would have never figured out. Right, yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, Let's let's say twenty years ago, wind tunnel testing was very different. You know, like if you had a design, you had to go to a wind tunnel to understand how it worked. And and of course, this is when CFD is coming on board. But um, but even in my tenure here, of I've been at NASA almost nine years, wind tunnel testing has changed dramatically. Like now yeah. now we do have very sophisticated CFD models, and we understand the flow. The CFD is computational fluid dynamics. Yes, nice. and on a previous <laughs> cast, we talked to you yeah. talked to Stu Rogers, and yeah. and uh, so I work very closely with Stu, and and that's very important, and and other CFDers in, in his branch. But um, I think it's the the change that uh, wind tunnel testing has had over the past several years is that the tests are getting more complicated. You don't you don't need to just put in an average plane and run two weeks nonstop understanding, oh, how does this react? We, we kind of understand that with CFD. But now when you start having complex flows, like let's say we have a vehicle named Orion and, uh, <laughs> and there's a launch abort system and say we need to get the astronauts away from uh, like a, uh, there's a problem with the rocket, we need to get the astronauts away. Oh my gosh! How do you solve that? That's that's yeah. super complicated, and and we do run CFD, but then we also go into the wind tunnel and run these very complicated tests. What's we'll the have, safest way to do right, that? Right, right, yeah. yeah, and trying to understand like, are we going to abort and just put the astronauts back into harm's way? So we need to understand how is that going to work. 
so it, it's really advantageous if we can marry all of these technologies. So take CFD and you know where CFD works really well for you, but you also know where where's there's, there's some shortcomings. And you also know, hey, wind tunnel testing works really well, but it's also really expensive and time consuming. So where do I need to focus? And so if you can marry, like, what do you know with CFD? What do you know with the wind tunnel? And also cross check each other with that. Then you can come up with a really great answer. And, and recently you guys actually ran some tests. Was it on the Orion model or on the, the on space, space launch system, the SLS rocket? Yes, we recently had a test campaign for the space launch system. And I, I love it when these large uh, NASA projects come through the wind tunnels because uh, the, the wonderful thing about NASA is that it's, it's not one person, it's not one center, it's not one division, it's not one piece of instrumentation. Like It takes the whole body of NASA to design, build, and execute SLS. And so when it gets to come to different facilities like the Unitary Plan Wind Tunnel that I, I spend a lot of time mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, there's so many people there that have so much expertise and they get to apply their expertise to make this better. And and it's everyone from engineers, scientists, mechanics, people like myself, it's, it's awesome. And uh, so SLS was here recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tested at our 11 by 11 foot, which is a transonic wind tunnel. And then they also tested at our 9 by 7, which is a supersonic wind tunnel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I conducted a steady state pressure sensitive paint measurement uh, for, okay. and uh, the reason I did that was to give data to the CFDers that are running computations for for SLS and help them understand, like, is your is your answer correct? Or how do your yeah. loads compare to the loads that I'm computing? Uh, so th- it's really great to... Because it, it should match. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then you're like, <laughs> right, all right, right, we're going to have to look at this. <laughs> and also, like, one thing with PSP is that uh, I've been mentioning, like, global pressure distribution. So yeah. you have a lot of information on a tiny little area, uh, and you don't get that with pressure tap. So this is really helpful to, to CFDers because That's I build right. a grid. Yeah, I build a grid. They build a grid. And so we have these very fine incremental changes, and we can we can compare, see, hey, how does their model work compared to PSP? PSP measurements and like where could you refine it? It's really smart because you think of you drill the hole, you put in the instrument, the tube, yeah. you know where the air is hitting in that one spot. Yeah. But like having that paint covering the whole thing, you can seeing how it changes colors, you get that whole. It's not just that one little spot, right? Because there may be other interesting stuff going on all over it. And it's changing intensity, so it's changing from okay. bright to dim, and that's and that's what we're measuring. Yeah, and often we'll we'll map it to like a color map. Uh, and you'd mentioned the cameras, these. Yeah. Crazy, like sophisticated cameras that are in that wind tunnel all looking at this. Yeah. Talk yeah. a little bit about those. Yeah. Well, if I just quickly make one distinction so the, the yeah. we did steady state PSP, it uses scientific cameras, and then we also did unsteady PSP. Uh, so What's the difference between steady PSP and unsteady yeah, PSP? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> uh, steady state PSP is we're on condition for several seconds. So we're taking data for, say, one to three to six seconds. Um, And so we're taking that pressure measurement over that time, and we call that like a steady state measurement. Like everything has kind of come to equilibrium, or we've averaged over six seconds. Now we're we're looking into developing unsteady PSP. What what does that mean? So unsteady, the pressures are changing. Sometimes it could be 50,000 times per second or 100,000 times per second. Uh, So with the unsteady PSP, we can measure up to 20 kilohertz, 20,000 times per second. And so we have these high-speed cameras that are measuring the oxygen change. So it's like as that paint changes color, depending on the pressure, like you're getting like very granular images of 
not only that it changes, but like by how much and when. Yeah, yeah, oh, and wow. and like what's the frequency that it's changing, and and this can be used uh, to compare to aeroacoustics, like taking acoustic measurements. Okay. You can also understand like are there these low frequency buffet forces that are acting on a rocket that may cause it to become unstable, and so that's that's what I'm trying to develop over the next year to help answer some questions that may be involved with SLS. For people who are who are listening, <laughs> yeah. who of course they're gonna go back and listen to the story from, from yeah. earlier, but then also um, want to learn more information about like pressure sensitive paint or even just the wind tunnels. What you're working on, I guess they just go to nasa.gov. Yeah, or... yeah, and that story that you're talking about, if you just say NASA Power of Pink, that will come up. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so excellent. And um, anybody who has any questions for Nettie, um, we are on Twitter. We are at NASA Ames. We're using the hashtag. NASA Silicon Valley. Yeah. This is awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. Go NASA.